Welcome to The Mother Realm. This is a podcast for mothers and parents to safely share the challenges and triumphs of motherhood, shed light on taboos, and celebrate everyday victories. I'm your host Bronwyn, and I'm here to talk to you about all things motherhood, the miraculous parts and the overwhelming parts, the ones that make you wonder how you got here, and those that make you realise you're exactly where you should be. This podcast is produced on Darug and Gundungara country, land that has been the home of mothering and storytelling for tens of thousands of years. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the Darug and Gundungara elders, past, present and emerging as the traditional custodians of this land. In today's episode, I'm joined by Caitlin, a first-time mum who gave birth to her daughter Gianna at 27 weeks. There are many remarkable elements to Caitlin's story, but the one that stands out most for me is her resilience, determination, and ability to creatively pivot in the face of unexpected circumstances. Caitlin shares her journey with such an open heart, and her love for her daughter and husband really shines through. Whether you've been through the NICU, are in the NICU now, or may never know the NICU experience, there is a lot for all of us to learn from Caitlin's story. I think you'll really enjoy this one. Let's begin. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast, Caitlin. I really appreciate you taking the time and that we were able to finally tee something up across our time zones. I'm I'm so excited. I feel like it's fascinating how the internet can really bring people together. I'm from the New York. I can't believe we're international at this point. So thank yeah. you for having me. I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I'm so, I'm so grateful to have you here. So can you start us off by telling us who is in your family? Yeah, so I so I'm 28 years old. My husband and I have been dating for nine years, and his name is John. And we actually got married two and a half years ago. And I'm the we were both planners, so we were like, we're going to be together for this long. We're going to travel to these places before we have a baby. Um, it was we had our bucket list before getting pregnant, and we crossed all those things off our bucket list. And finally, May of 2022 came and we were like, okay, we're, let's start to, let's start our family. So we planned it down to like the minute. Um, but I made plans and God laughed. <laughs> so my daughter ended up coming three months earlier than anticipated. But I am now the mom to a now one-year-old who is an ex-27 week preemie. And so it's the three of us in our house, but she is magical. She is our whole entire world. And she has brought my husband and I even closer and she's fulfilled all of our dreams and wishes. But yeah, definitely not the journey I expected um, in my planning mindset. Yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, I guess on that note, you're a planner. What were you like before you became a mother? So I was actually a full-time school counselor in a middle school. So where I live, every school has a counselor that helps kids navigate their emotional and their social and academic challenges. So I worked with the most at-risk kids doing um, risk assessments for kids that were having suicidal ideation. So I, mental health is like everything to me. So I was a planner. I was the counselor, always the caretaker for everyone else. And with that, I was a planner. So I was always kind of mapping out what was my future goals, what I wanted my family to look like. I'm a dreamer. And so I, my, my, I went to the OB before months before we were even going to get pregnant. And I was like, so if I want to get pregnant immediately, what do I do? How do I solve this? And I, I planned it all out. And I, my daughter was the ultimate lesson to me that I can't 
plan everything that some things are out of our control and then I have to take a back seat and just trust the process and that life is happening for us, not to us. Um, so I definitely a planner, but now I'm realizing I have to just go with the waves. <laughs> um, my daughter is definitely the boss and I'm <laughs> just following her lead at this point. Yeah. And that that's a tough lesson to learn as well, that there's certain things that are out of our control and we just have to kind of go with them. Yeah. It was something I definitely needed to learn for a, re- a really long time, but I had to go through this traumatic experience in order to learn it. So mm. I'm grateful that I finally did learn it at <laughs> just my, at just at 28, but man, it's been a year to get to this place. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that today. Yeah. So what, what were your expectations of motherhood before you had your daughter? I always anticipated fully enjoying my pregnancy. I kept telling myself that I I was just looking forward to the nesting time where I was going to be able to clean the house and prepare my daughter's room and buy all the cute dresses and bows and have everything ready for this magical moment where my husband would fly. I don't know if you've seen the movies where like the, your the, your husband is driving in the car and flying through all the lights because you're in labor and it's an exciting moment and you're ready to go and you have the perfect makeup on and you're in your <laughs> hospital gown. Um, so I had that all planned out because that was what I saw in my life, my, my family members, my friends. And I also expected that the second you became a mom, you would feel like a mom and you would embody that spirit. And that was not my experience. I also expected to take my baby home and I didn't get her in my home for 85 days. So it was completely different than what I expected. I didn't fully process my pregnancy because I gave birth when I was only six months pregnant and I didn't have the nesting period because I didn't know I was in labor. So looking back, I'm grateful for how long I was able to hold my daughter, but it was definitely a process to grieve that loss of those three months. Um, and having to navigate the emotions of watching your daughter or your child in general in the hospital, um, fighting for their life. Hmm. Yeah. The next question is, where did you get your ideas about motherhood? But you kind of, you talked about like in, in the movie, like movies, which is such a huge influence (laughs) on. Yeah. And until like you're in it, you're just like expected to be this kind of particular way. And you're like, Oh, that's not how that goes. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. You're like, you see, I'm like the biggest rom-com com And so I would used to watch all these romantic comedies and I'd be like, this is how it's supposed to be a fairy tale. And to be honest with you, life before this, things were kind of going smoothly. Like I, I met the dream guy. We had the courting, the beautiful relationship, the beautiful wedding, and things were going smoothly. And I, I was rocked with this experience. Yeah. And Obviously, I had other challenges in my life. It wasn't always just rainbows and butterflies, but this really, this had to, I, I needed this to happen to grow into the person I am today, but it took me for a loop and really, it really changed who I am as a person. I think, I think I'm for the better, but it took some time to process everything. Yeah. And it's hard to get to a point of acceptance of you know like you you said this had to happen for me to become this person but then there's a point where you kind of like why did this have to happen <laughs> why couldn't I have learned it yeah. a different way 
when there weren't so many traumatic challenges. And that's something I've been working so hard on with my like therapist and all of the supports in my life. I keep thinking like, rather than asking why me, like, why not me? Like this was, this was my path. And like, I was destined to have to go through this. And like, there was no other way of getting my daughter besides going through this. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of wrapping my mind around that saying like, this was the only way to get her. And it, it might not be fair and it might not be what I wanted or an ideal situation, but she's here and I have her and I'm accepting that because I would do it all over again to get her, yeah. you know, like it was the hardest few months of my life, but I would do it again for, you know, and we would go through the pain of anything to have our precious baby. So it's been hard to get to this point, to be honest with you. I was in like the dumps for a while being like, why me? Um, which is a normal part of grieving. Yeah. And I feel like I'm finally on the acceptance part where I'm like, okay, I'm able to handle this. And I was fortunate enough that I can handle it and I have the support to handle it. So, okay, I, I, I can tackle it. Let's tackle it. Yeah. On the one hand, you, you kind of don't have a choice when you're thrown into a situation like that. You, you have to get through it, especially when it's yeah. kind of, it's not just you that's being affected, but it's pretty incredible how situations like that can teach you so much about yourself. And you realize you're a lot more resilient than you might've thought you were beforehand. Yeah. It's true. I, oh, the tears are about to come. It's, um, you would think my birth, I'll share my birth story, but you would think that would be the scariest day of my life. And I was the strongest I've ever been. There's, I don't know if you know Peloton, like the the cycling classes in America. So there's this um, cyclist, Robin Arzone, and her saying is like, strong as a mother. There's no one stronger as a mother. So I was in labor and I was like, strong as a mother. Like I got this, like there, cause it's true. There is no one stronger in the world than a mom and there's nothing a mom wouldn't do for their baby. So in the delivery room, I was, I was in state. I was able to, I, I look back on that moment and I'm like, that was a good day. Even though if, now that I know what actually happened on that day, I'm like, how the heck did I have a positive mindset? Like how, mm-hmm. How was I so strong? It's true. This resilience just comes upon you when you become a mom. You you have no other choice. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your journey to motherhood like? Can you share your birth story and pregnancy journey yeah. with us? So like I said, we we planned. I, I was like, I need to go to Italy before we have a baby. We went <laughs> to Italy. We went to Paris. We came home and I was like, time to start a family. And I got pregnant the first month of trying, which was a miracle because that's that's not the case for a lot of families. So I felt so blessed that that was our situation. And I knew that that was a blessing. So I wasn't taking it for granted by any means. My husband was away on business and I was, I was vomiting and I was like, I think this is it. Yes. (laughs) So we kept testing and kept testing and he was um, in Arizona on business and we got the positive results. So we were we were pumped. I, I found out, I think I was only three weeks pregnant and I was like, we got the, we got the good news. So obviously it takes a few weeks before you can go to the OB and we eagerly were, went to the OB and we got in there and they did the ultrasound and they said, he's, well, they didn't know it was she, but they said the baby is measuring smaller than anticipated. It might not be a viable pregnancy. Hmm. So my husband and I immediately were deflated. We were like, what? Like I, this baby might not actually survive. 
and at that point we were already attached we were already we were already coming do navigating names and buying things so my heart was like broken in that moment and I thought that was going to be the hardest thing we went through which it wasn't so obviously the Italian American in me the only thing I could control in that moment was how much I ate. <laughs> so I ate so much my first trimester. I, I I thought that was the only way I can help the baby grow. And the baby ended up growing, thankfully. And it was my daughter. Um, I had a low-lying placenta the whole entire time, so I was bleeding. And that was alarming. But they said it, it was going to fix itself, that the baby was gonna, going to be okay. And I... I ended up getting COVID in September mm. and I was due in January. So that kind of really took a toll on my body, but I didn't think anything of it. I continued on. So the morning of November 4th, I woke up and it was like 4 a.m. I went to the bathroom because at that point, you know, you're you're constantly needing to use the restroom. And I, I was bleeding and it was a lot of blood. So I called my husband over and he was like, okay, let's try to get a little sleep. We're going to the OB and in just a few hours, like three hours at this point. So he's like, let's try to rest. So I woke up and I was cramping. I, I, I was looking in the mirror and I was like, I, I, my, my belly's smaller. Like I, I look different. So I called my sister who's seven years older than me. And I, I explained what I was feeling, all my symptoms. And she's like, Kate, this might sound crazy, but I think you're in labor. She's like everything you're telling me is you're in labor. And I'm like, only 27 weeks, four days. Like there's, are you like, really? Mm. So I went to my OB's office and, um, I went in hysterically crying and all the receptionists were like freaked out because they were like, this girl is hysterical. What do we do? And they immediately brought me into the room to get checked. And my OB who I have a great relationship with was like silent. He was like, you need to go to the hospital for a labor check. And at this point I was dressed in red. It was we had a school spirit day. So it was blue themed. I had, I was blued out head to toe in my outfit, ready to go. And I was like, should I call my boss? Like I'll be at work in a little bit. Right. And she's like, no, you're going to the hospital. So on the way to the hospital, my husband and I were talking and I was like, do you, do, you, are we going to have a baby right now? And he was like, I don't know. Let's just, let's just stay positive. Let's get there. We got to the hospital. And once again, I walked into the hospital and I broke down into tears and they're like, do you need a wheelchair? And I was like, I don't think so. Like, I mean, I, I think I'm fine. So that we went up to labor and delivery and they put me in a room to get checked. And I remember just not knowing what was going on. They brought me in for an ultrasound and usually the technicians like make small talk with you and just reassure you that everything's okay. And I kept saying, how did, how does she look? How does she look? And they were like, we, the doctor will tell you. I was like, that's strange. And they're like, the baby just peaked though. And I was like, why is she telling me that? That's so strange. So I came back and my husband was, he apparently already got the news. I had zero amniotic fluid. It was, she was empty in there. And they knew that she, my daughter urinated because that was the only fluid I had at that moment. Hmm. So their goal was to keep me on bed rest in the hospital for as long as possible. They were like, we'll probably be able to, the Max, maybe six weeks we can keep you. But they gave me all these statistics and they were like, but a lot of a lot of people deliver sooner. So I'm like, okay, I, um, I'll just be on bed rest for six weeks. That's fine. I can handle that. 
that night they they put me into a room and I had the monitors on me and I'm still staying positive. I don't think I'm going to be having this baby. I think I'm just on bed rest in the hospital. And we kept losing her heartbeat. Um, they were monitoring her all night. And at, I think it was like six o'clock. They, they couldn't find it. And she, the, like, I heard the noise just stop. Um, so the doctors came rushing in and we, another ultrasound person came and thankfully we were able to find her heartbeat. And the, the nurse on call that night was like, I'm not supposed to be telling you this, but you're going to have a C-section tomorrow. And I was like, oh, and she's like, I want you to prepare because it is scary. And I want, I want to tell you all the details of what it's going to be like. And this woman was an angel. I mean, all the doctors, they didn't want to freak me out because I was already hysterical. Um, they had the neonatologist come into the room and talk about what an early delivery would look like, gave me all the statistics. And I don't, I don't remember what she said. I just kept asking, is she going to survive? And the standard line, like, we can't, like, we're going to do our best to make sure. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, please, just please give me my baby. Like, I want to make sure she's okay. And like, to think about survival is the craziest thing in the world. Um, so that night, all night, we were up getting checked constantly. And that nurse prepared me for what delivery was going to be like. And she was an angel because... I don't think I would have been as strong as I was in my during the delivery, if not. So I, I obviously, everything was out of my control and I just kept ordering preemie clothing because I, I heard that she was going to be around two pounds. So at, they came in in the morning and they said, we're going to do an emergency C-section at one o'clock, get prepared. I'm, so I decided to make a playlist of all my favorite songs for my daughter to come into the world in. And then I, I said to my husband, I said, regardless of the situation, this is her birthday. We are going to make this a great day. We're going to make this a day that we can look back on and say, thank you, God, we have her. And I didn't know the chance. I, I kind of just put out of my head the potential of loss. And I said, we're, this is her birthday. Let's make the most of it. And there's videos of me dancing and singing right before I deliver. Um, I put makeup on. I got excited. I was recording videos all night to her saying like how much I love her, what I'm looking forward to. And then right before I go into delivery, this woman walks in and I'm so out of it at this point because I have all the steroids in me and they're trying to do everything to protect her brain development, her lung development. And my OB walks in. She wasn't on call and she's like, you think I was going to let you do this without me? And um, I was like, everybody, all these people are coming to support me and rally around me. And obviously my family couldn't visit. It was just my husband and I. So these doctors and nurses became my family and they just rallied around me and gave me all the encouragement I needed. So at one o'clock, we rolled over to the delivery room and they gave me the epidural and I found this out months later. They they gave my husband a really scary talk before and warned that warned him of the three options that could occur. The first one being that the baby would cry and she would walk over. The, the doctor would bring her to my husband and I would get to see her and hold her and look at her. The second option being that the baby wouldn't cry and my husband would immediately go with the baby to like handle everything she needed to be taken care of. Or the third, which was the least ideal of the options, she wouldn't cry and my husband wouldn't be able to come and they would have to resuscitate. Um, so we're 
listening. I, I made the anesthesiologist be my DJ. I went in, I didn't know any of this happened, that conversation. So I was in there with the anesthesiologist. He, I was like, can you put on my Spotify playlist? And he put on some songs and first, the first song that came on was Our House by Crosby. Um, I don't know. It's like, our house is a very, very, very mm-hmm. fine house. And then at one thirty-seven, my daughter was born to our wedding song. Um, which is Blessings by Florida Georgia Line. And there wasn't a cry. And I asked my husband, is she alive? And he didn't know. And he told me yes. Um, And he said that the anesthesiologist stabbed the bag and added more medicine to me. Um, And I don't really know what fully happened, um, but she was resuscitated and she was intubated. And my husband had to navigate the fear of her loss without me knowing. Um, and thank, thank God, um, she was okay. But I'm now that I'm now that I'm removed from it, and a year later, uh, it's crazy to think that my daughter wasn't alive for a few seconds. I don't know how long, but she wasn't alive when she was born. And so I'll never take for granted her breathing and her ability to breathe on her own. But um, that was, it was, it, obviously that was just the beginning of our journey. Um, she's feisty. So on the way to the NICU, she extubated herself. She ripped it, she ripped it out and was put on CPAP. But um, we had 85 long days in the NICU and she has been the greatest teacher since November 5th, 2022. So definitely not what I had pictured my birth story to be. But now I'm in a place where I can say I'm grateful that it happened that way because I have such an appreciation for the nurses and the doctors that gave me my baby. Um, The prayer that, the prayers that we, my whole family waited outside the hospital to make sure that I survived and she survived. Like all, my whole entire family was outside waiting. So I have just such an appreciation for them and more importantly, my, my angel who is a fighter. She's been a fighter since day one. So yeah, that was, that's the journey of Gianna. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that it telling, telling those kind of stories just brings all those feelings right back and not, you know, they're yeah. just kind of sitting below the surface, but brings it right back and really puts you in that situation again. So I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that with me and and our listeners I think it's so important before my daughter's premature birth I didn't know anyone who delivered prematurely and I think it's so important to normalize the experience and to let other moms know that it's okay and it's not your fault and it had to happen this way um because that was something I struggled with for a while, feeling guilty that I did something or my body did did something. And my baby knew that she needed to come. And I, I'm changing the term as she got out on good behavior. Um, <laughs> so she, we got three extra months of her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I should include this, this part, but my, I, just, I guess I just wanted to say my husband was born at 28 weeks. So... I don't know if I, I try, I, I think I've told each NICU mum that I've interviewed because like he's had a, a normal life and he has his it's own crazy. family now. So 
it's like fascinating. I, I, no one says like, oh, I'm a preemie. My neighbor across the street is like this big muscular guy <laughs> in his forties. And I was saying how my daughter, she was born at two pounds, two ounces, but went down to one pound, 13 ounces when she was not doing well in the NICU in the beginning. And my, my neighbor across the street was like, I was two pounds and he runs Ironman. Like he is <laughs> a, like a beast. He is so incredibly yeah. strong. And I'm like, you know what? My baby can do anything. Don't, yeah. don't tell her she can't cause she'll, she'll show you. Yeah. Uh, these, these kids are tough. These preemies and your husband, they're tough. They're, yeah. These kids are tough. There's, they were born fighters and they have this internal resilience and determination that you can't, you can't train someone to have it's just innate in them which is so beautiful yeah so what was your NICU experience like what did those kind of following days and weeks look like for your family since this is my first child I I thought this was a normal experience like I I didn't know any better and if I now looking back I'm like wow that was that was not normal at all to see your child with wires and to not hold your child for the first time. It took, I think it was like day five or six that I was the first time I was able to hold her. I didn't see the wires. I don't know why, but I just saw my baby and I'm grateful for that. But now I look back and I'm like, that that was probably scary for other people to see. When I'd FaceTime my family and my friends, it was the beginning weeks I was just grateful that she was alive. I was obviously so nervous, but every little thing I was writing down and celebrating, like I celebrated the first time she held my, like my little finger. The first time I was allowed to change a diaper, the first time she pooped, like all these little things that moms don't celebrate per se. But like, to me, it was a huge moment because it was, she was alive and I got, I got to experience it and I wasn't holding her at that point. So those little things were so significant, um, which I, now that I look back, I'm like, I, I'm so grateful that I, I was able, I was in that mindset where I was able to just enjoy and be present. So the first few weeks, obviously they were extremely hard leaving your baby at a hospital and having restrictions on when you can hold them, when you can touch them, how long you can sit next to them. Um, so that that alone was a lot to wrap my head around in all the medical terms, but I really didn't struggle emotionally until I would say like January. I my daughter had a really really smooth beginning, but her her feeding process was really hard, and she once she started having bottles, she would stop breathing and would mm-hmm. turn blue. And she we found out later that she was aspirating, but. We didn't know why, and she would, she struggled significantly, and it was so traumatizing for me, because every time I would feed her, she would turn blue, and the nurses and doctors would come and take her out of my arms and stimulate her and try to get her breathing again, so I would say from November 5th until, like, January, until actually Christmas, things were going pretty smoothly. I I was just feeling, I was in a mindset of gratitude. And then on Christmas day, we had a really big scare where, um, she struggled. Um, she, we found blood in her stool and they thought she had an infection and things got really dark and scary. And that's when I think I started the PTSD symptoms really started for me. Um, like two, two months, two and a half months into the 
process. But the NICU is a place that I would, I wouldn't wish my worst enemy to experience that. Like I, it's a place that you never want to be. You constantly hearing monitors, um, fearing if your child is breathing and having that fear, not because it's just a fear that moms have, but because they stop breathing and you see your child stop breathing frequently. So that that's something that I still work through because you, once you see that, it's hard to move forward and not have the fear of them to stop breathing. But yeah, it was the hardest time of my life. And I think the hardest part was I was alone. They told us if, if we got sick, we weren't going to be allowed to see the baby. So my husband and I isolated ourselves from everyone. We didn't see or hug family for months. And we were on our own island. And it was hard for our family and it was hard for us. It brought the two of us closer um, at the end of the day. But it really made us fearful of germs in the world because we knew that her life was so fragile at the time and that if she got sick, there was a chance she couldn't make it. So um, definitely the hardest time, but the people I met there changed my life and the experience has given me such a different view on the world. I appreciate every little thing now. Like I, I appreciate when she screams, <laughs> like every baby screams but now when she screams, I'm like, thank you, God, her lungs are strong enough to do that because I didn't hear her voice for the first two months of her life. Mm. She, she didn't have the strength to make noise. So every little thing I have such a deep appreciation for now. And the fact that I have a baby that is now thriving and I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't have to experience loss like so many of my fellow NICU moms have to experience. Yeah. And so what was the cause of the blood? Did she have an infection? What happened there? So it ended up that she had a milk protein allergy. Mm. So um, I, she was, we were on breast milk at the time and I was consuming dairy and soy and she, they ended up stop. We did it took time to figure that out, but they thought it was a potential infection. They stopped feeding her for over 24 hours. She was screaming, crying in pain because she was so hungry. Um, we had to do so many different x-rays. And she she had a very complex, I would say from like the middle of December till the end of her say, it, it got really complex. She had a hemangioma on her eyelid. Um, she had IUGR, so restrictive growth. It was hard for her to gain weight. Um, she was aspirating. She had severe reflux. There were so many layers that just compounded that made it difficult for her to leave. And honestly, the first few months of her home, she was still really fragile. Um, and I, I feel like it, we didn't get to a place of her being stable until June, and she was born in November. So it was a really long process to get to that phase. And now you would never know that's the same baby, but it the NICU is a very, very challenging place. And yeah, it's it's crazy to think that was me and that was my daughter and my husband. I I look back and I'm like, how is that the same child? Mm. Like how and I show her videos now of like I have time hop on my phone and, and an app that shows you like where you were a year ago. And I show her these pictures and I'm like, you were one pound thirteen ounces. This little little human is you. Like I, I held you when you were this small. I just, I'm, I can't believe she's mine. I can't believe how much she's taught me. 
and how much we've grown physically and emotionally since this experience yeah it is pretty pretty wild like I mean obviously children grow but my second son was born at 36 weeks just spontaneously no explanation and we had a special care nursery stay and then they thought he had all these um he had unusual blood test results and they couldn't explain it and they still, they still it's two years later they still can't explain it but they thought it could be these fatal genetic syndromes so for the first few months of his life we were just getting tests after tests after tests he's fine like and he looked fine he would clinically I was just like what do you mean this is a normal not you know like he but my, yeah. my point is like it is so crazy because like he's he's a big two-year-old now like he's a solid little guy he's fearless he flings himself off every surface he can find <laughs> like he's just so funny and affectionate but then I look back at um, photos when he was born and I'm like are you sure that's the same child? Right? <laughs> like like, like that. It became that. <laughs> yeah, it's just so strange. I'm like, no, I, I can see it, but it's just like such a disconnect between. And it happens. I mean, I might not have felt the same way for you because it, there's such a process, but since it happens so quickly. The yeah. days are so long, but the, the weeks fly by. Like yeah. it's, I've, especially I'm a stay-at-home mom so it feels like every day is like a million years long but I'm like how do I how do I have a 13 month old like how yeah. how did we both grow so much in this year and it makes no sense like I you have a two-year-old now but think about how much you've grown in these last two years and through that experience it's yeah. it's mind-blowing how we're supposed to be the ones teaching them everything but they teach us more about life than we could yeah. ever imagine yeah absolutely and it's kind of like when when your baby's born when their birth is unexpected I don't know if that that's the right phrasing but it's kind of like you're thrown into the twilight zone this kind of like alternate universe where you never thought you would be and so you're kind of like no I have to navigate my days through this very strange landscape of hospital policy and processes and other people making decisions for my child and it's just and you you can't I mean okay for for speaking for myself it's so hard to keep up mentally because you just you just have to get through it you just have to be going through each day day after day and you just have to be and so for me I felt like I really I don't even know when I felt like I caught up to him actually being born because it was just one thing after another for months and then they were like well he's fine so bye (laughs) I I completely relate to that it's like and what I said in the beginning, like, what did you expect motherhood to be like? No, I felt like there was, I thought there was going to be this moment. Like I'm a mom, the baby's here. I, it took me months to feel like a mom. I, for the longest time, I just felt like her nurse. I felt like, like her babysitter bringing her to all these doctor's appointments and having people tell me how to take care of my child rather than me making those decisions. Exactly. Like what you said, it is a twilight zone. And Unfortunately, people don't understand that unless they've experienced it. So also then navigating the layers of people being like, no, you're the mom. Like you make the calls, but it's like, this is, I, I want to make sure my baby's okay. So I'm going to follow whatever they tell me to do to make sure that they are okay. But it's like, it's taken me such a long time to gain the confidence that I'm like, yeah, I'm the mom. Like I, I call the shots. Like I could, if I'm, I want to give you a piece of chocolate, we, I can do that. <laughs> like, and it's, it's 
something I'm still working on because there's so many specialists still involved in my daughter's case where I'm, I'm trying to find the line where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to listen to this, but I'm also going to put a spin on that and, and do it my way. Yeah. Um, but it is when you have a medically complex child, even in, if it's just the beginning phases, it's hard to catch up to their birth and to realize, wow, that that's, that's my child now. That's, yeah. this is us. And this is how we've progressed as a family. Um, so I completely get what you mean. It's, it's, t- I think I just, I think I just started feeling like a mom like two months ago, maybe um, I like was look, I was driving her to one of her physical therapy appointments and I looked in the back seat and I was like, she knows I'm her mom. Like I, that's, she's mine. Like, I get to do this. Like I get to take care of her. And it was a weird moment because I do that same drive all the time. But in that moment, I, I felt like, okay, yep, this is, this is, my, this is where my life is. Yeah. Um, but no one, no one could prepare you for this journey. Um, I think regardless of what your, how your child comes into the world, no one could compare you for motherhood. Um, every, every journey has its obstacles. Um, so it's just a matter of like, like you said, trucking through and <laughs> finding this resilience and knowing that one day we'll look back and say, these were the good old days, but these days are tough right now and we're going to navigate them. And yeah. we have to lean on our fellow mom friends to process this time. Yeah. I really, those moments, like when you're, when you're in it, I think those, those moments of kind of like, right. No, I, I am a mom. I do have this child or for me these children because I think that they're really it's important to have those moments because sometimes when you're in it and you're kind of in survival mode you know it's quite easy to get overwhelmed by everything but I had a kind of a similar moment the other day when I was drying up the all the like plastic plates and all like you know kids plates that are really obviously kids plates and I remember thinking I'm like oh this is my life like I you know like I my house is full of toys and you know mostly untidy most of the time and I'm putting away like you know my cupboard's full of it's not full of beautiful um ceramic (laughs) bowls or anything it's full of plastic like Peppa Pig and Bluey and everything and (laughs) and there was a time where like I was dreaming of this like I really wanted this and I remember it's like I was when I was 18, I was an au pair for a week because I was 18 and was not suited to that kind of work <laughs> at that age. But I remember in that week I was folding up little clothes and I'm like, one day I'm going to be folding up these little clothes and and now they're everywhere. And I'm like, how are there yeah. so many? I guess that there's aha moments where you're like, I have everything I ever wished for, everything I ever prayed for, everything I've ever wanted. And you're like, yeah, it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, but I got it. Like I'm here. I have this child that I love with my whole entire heart and soul. Um, It is crazy though. Like you, I, and I felt like what you said with clothing, the clothes when you were an au pair, I, for the longest time, my daughter couldn't wear clothing because she was had all the wires. And I remember being like, I just want to fold her clothes. I just want to do a wash of her clothes. And now I'm in piles of her laundry, but I like, I remember just longing for that so badly. Like I just, and I remember taking the clothes home for the first time from the hospital and like purposely, like this is embarrassing, but purposely like having one of her um, stuffed animals hanging out of my diaper bag so I could show the people that I was leaving the hospital that I was a mom. Cause like, it was like, 
felt like a big thing to me. And I was like, yeah, I have to wash her clothes tonight. But you have such an appreciation every once in a while. You're like, yes, this is chaos. But I I wanted this so badly. Yeah. And I feel like I try at the end of the day to remember that. Like, even if it was a hard day, just to be like, yeah. like I, I'm, I, every night I say my prayers and I, I thank God that I, I have this little human that I get to call mine that I get to show the world to. Um, because if you look at it from their lens, we're their world. (laughs) Um, and we get to show them the whole world, which is such an honor and blessing. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, absolutely. Those moments of appreciation are so important, especially in the kind of tornado of that is motherhood. (laughs) Um, but I don't also, I don't think that's embarrassing at all. I think like I, I, it is like a badge of honor being a mom. Like I feel like, you know, yeah. like walking around with a pram and also like for me <laughs> when I'm, I'm like want to go to the shops or whatever and I have opportunity to leave them at home, I'm like, no, I'm going to take them with me because I look <laughs> exhausted and I need people to know why. <laughs> right? I, I'm like, I have a booger stain here. I have applesauce <laughs> on this shoulder. So when I leave the house, I'm like, if without the baby, I'm like, I just look like a mess. At least with her, it makes sense. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Because Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm just like, no, no. I have these permanent bags under my eyes because of these three. Okay. I need you to know that. <laughs> I, I only have me one. I can't imagine three. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's so funny today. Today she had on like this beautiful outfit, and I'm I'm in here with like I have these baggy sweatpants on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I swear I used to be the presentable one. Like, who who have I become? Yeah. Uh, the other day I was sitting and I had a clean shirt on the beginning of the day, and then got to the afternoon and I was like. One day I'll wear a shirt that doesn't have other people's snot on it. (laughs) One day I'll be in clean clothes again. And I will miss that snot. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And I'll be begging them. Yeah. I mean, talking about moments of appreciation, I I made a post being like, it means that I was comforting my babies today. (laughs) means I was cuddling (laughs) them. (laughs) They had the opportunity to wipe their snot on me. Like, and that was the, the highlight of their day. So, <laughs> so maybe we should think of it as maybe the highlight of ours. And twenty years from now, we'll look back and be like, "Why don't you hug me?" But yeah. now we're like, "Mommy's touched out. Mommy needs a break. <laughs> just need a minute, please." Look, yeah. Just let me use the bathroom alone. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. The other the other day. The other day, my husband got home and we were talking. I'm like, I just need to go to the bathroom. He started to follow me and I was like, I need to use the, the bathroom without an audience one time today. Right. <laughs> it's like when they come home from work, they're like, let, uh, they're holding the baby. They're like, let's all talk in the bathroom. I'm like, can I just, one minute, can I just be able to do this alone? Yeah. <laughs> I love you all. You've, you've all, you've all had to see things when I was pregnant and delivering, but Nobody needs to be in the bathroom with me right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and mommy yeah. just wants to sit alone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I did want to ask about your your feeding journey because I do remember for that that moment of so um I think I think it's important to honor, honor that experience of having to bring in your milk alone um, because it's I know it's the only experience that you've had, but. Now I've had three very different birth experiences and, and feeding like, well, the beginnings of feeding journeys. And 
by far the hardest was sitting on a hospital bed by myself, bringing my milk in without my baby. So I think it's important to honor how challenging emotionally and physically that is. So, so how was your feeding journey? It was, so the second you give birth to a preemie, the lactation consultant like comes in with a pump and the goal is to produce whatever you can. And I remember being like, this is the only thing thinking this isn't reality, but in that moment thinking, this is the only thing I can do to help my baby. I can't hold her. I can't help her. I can't help her breathe. So milk, that's all I can do. So I, I was very fortunate and I was able to get milk immediately, but I remember every, every, like, obviously you start off with a few drips. My husband would take a picture and send it to the family group chat and be like, she did it. She, she made it. And I had so much pride in being able to contribute in some way to her. So when they told me that she was allergic to my milk, I, it was an ego thing. It was like, I had to put my ego aside and realize fed is best. And if my child has an allergy to my milk and what I was creating was causing her pain, I had to put that aside. So I, she was breastfed for nine weeks. I was pumping and I think the hardest thing about that was I I used to spend as much time at the NICU as possible. So I'd be pumping next to her isolate and she would stop breathing almost constantly when I was pumping. And I would, I'd, at the time I didn't have a hands-free bra. So I was holding on to the pump and stimulating my child to make sure that she would not die. Um, and I would be shaking her to like wake up and to start breathing again. And I would have the pump on and my brain started associating pumping with her not breathing. So even if I wasn't next to her, like, let's say I was home pumping, I would shake the whole time I was pumping Mm. because it was, it was just a pairing, you know, like pump baby, not breathing. And my whole body would just respond. So every time I would pump, I would shake in fear and it was really taking a toll on my mental health. And so when they said she's allergic to my milk, they're like, okay, you're just going to remove dairy and soy from your diet. And at this point, I'm like, all I have is the only thing that's bringing me joy is ice cream. Like (laughs) I can't do that, but I did it. And I was miserable. My husband um, pulled me aside and was like, it's impacting your mental health. I just want you to be okay. Whatever we will figure it out. The baby is fine having formula. I just need you to be okay though. Um, and I remember it took me, a. it took the only reason why I was like, okay, I'll stop is because I, she was still struggling and she was still having pain and bleeding. So I was like, ego aside, she's going to form these life is more important than my feeling the need to f- contribute. So I stopped, um, pumping, but I felt, I felt like ashamed and mm. I shouldn't feel ashamed, but I did feel ashamed that I stopped because there's this, there's a saying, breast is best and it's whatever is best for the mom is best and whatever is going to give the baby a happy mom is what's best um so I now that my like my family and friends are starting to have children I tell them I'm like regardless of how your baby is fed as long as they're fed it doesn't matter um and my baby was on my daughter was on formula for the longest time because of her allergy and she's healthy so I I just I want to, if you are feeding your child your breast milk, I give you so much credit. That is hard work. 
if you were transitioning to formula, you are, you, the fact that you stop breastfeeding, I give you so much credit. That is such a challenging emotion to navigate. And like, regardless of your journey, you're an amazing mom. Like there's, you did what's best for your family. Be kind to yourself. You have to give yourself grace because only you know what is best for your family. And I wish that we were kinder to women and we, we just, we didn't automatically give them a pump because I probably would have been in a better mental state if I wasn't shaking every single time I, I pumped. Um, and that was a huge factor of my PTSD diagnosis. Yeah. So how did you get to that diagnosis? What, what was the process like? So I, like I said, I was kind of in a good mental state until that Christmas time. And um, when the, everything kind of happened at the same time where I had to stop pumping, my mental health was in a really bad place. I started having nightmares in the middle of the night, um, of my daughter not surviving and things were just becoming too real where she was struggling so much that all the trauma of watching her not breathe for so many days in a row was, was really getting to me. So I went to, um, a new therapist and she gave me all the questionnaires. Well, first off, I, let me go backwards. Um, at my six week checkup, they did the postpartum depression survey and any mom who has a baby in the NICU is going to get flagged. Like, are you crying every day? Yes. I'm crying every day. My child's in the hospital. So like, that was a terrible assessment. Like I didn't, yeah. at that moment I was like, I'm just sad. But then we did the flash forward in the beginning of January, the therapist did the assessment for PTSD anxiety and depression. And, um, it was very obvious at that point, anyone who spoke to me would know that I had postpartum depression. Um, my anxiety, I've always had anxiety, but it was always manageable. Um, like it was just something I learned to cope with, but it was not in a manageable state. And then on top of that, the PTSD from, I was having flashbacks and nightmares mm -hmm. and shaking in night and screaming. Um, so the, the NICU took a toll on my health for sure. I struggled silently. I would say until May though, I, I was speaking to a therapist, but I, in May, my daughter came home in Feb, like the end of January. But in May, I, I remember having a conversation with my husband and my dad and being like, I'm not okay. I, I'm really not in a good place. I need help. And I, I ended up going on medicine um, to help with my anxiety and my PTSD. And that's not something I have told many of my family and friends, um, because they think there's a lot of stigma against medicine, but I, I was struggling significantly yeah. and I could not be the mom I am today without it. So I think you have to do what you have to do to, to feel better. Yeah. And that's what I needed in that moment to navigate my anxiety and my PTSD symptoms. And I've, noticed a change since then um but I do feel like if you are navigating the NICU it is important to seek help and to talk to someone there's obviously natural ways to like and different coping strategies you can try but medicine is not something to be ashamed of I think it's there is a need for it at times and I think that obviously with right prescriptions and right medical care but I, I'm proud to admit that I, it's something that I use to get me to where I am today. So no, you, let's remove the stigma together. I, uh, I, I feel like 
talking about mental health is important because mental health is health. Um, It shouldn't be two different things. It's, it's important to speak honestly about it because everyone struggles at some point in their life. It's, it's whether it's through because of your birth story or something that happened situationally, like everyone is going to feel depressed at some point. So I don't think we should talk about it in a negative way. I think we should honor everyone's experience and allow them to feel all those emotions. So this is your reminder to get help if you are struggling at all. And there's always somebody willing to listen. Um, You just have to find the right person. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that asking for help can look different and it can, can look like all, all sorts of different things. Like, I mean, in that situation, no amount of meditation is going to <laughs> help yeah. balance things out. And sometimes it is just about balancing your brain chemistry, you know? Exactly. So I, I grew up with my mom who was on, and still is on medication for, for, I guess for decades now. And it was always spoken in, in hushed tones. She always had a lot of shame about it. And she always would try to like go off it because there was so much shame around it. But she was an entirely different person when she was on it versus when she was off it. And yeah. after my first was born, I did, I had a traumatic birth with my first um, and it took me four months. I re- definitely had postnatal anxiety. Um, I got it with my second as well as only when I got to my third that I've been, but I was going to say that I've been okay, but I've been, I've been, I'm on medication. So when with my first at four months, I, I had this really dark night of the soul or whatever that phrase. And I realized I'm like, this isn't normal. <laughs> this is not, yeah. this is not how this should be. So I, I went to my doctor and I went on medication and it was like night and day. Like I was like, yeah. Oh, so I don't have to be feeling that way all the time. So yeah. it's like, they made this for a reason. Like yeah. they're, why? I mean, why should we suffer? Like we, yeah. and I, I just, it makes me so upset that people, people don't like, they're so judgmental about medicine. I didn't understand how beneficial it was until I needed it. Yeah. And now I'm like, how could anyone ever judge? You can't, you don't know somebody's journey. You don't know what they're going through. And if it makes them feel even 1% better, why not? You know, yeah. like I just, I, I want to remove that stigma because it's yeah. something I'm so passionate about. I don't, I don't want other moms to feel ashamed if they, they are struggling because yeah. struggling silently isn't, isn't good for anyone. Yeah. I think that there's all these expectations around being a good mom, but part of that is looking, um, a huge part of that is looking after yourself. And sometimes that does look like medication yeah. and it really like, I, and my big challenge with going on it was because I thought it meant something bad about me, but it didn't. And like then you were as, weak, right? Yeah. And as soon as you I, felt like, Oh, I can't handle this. No, it means that you're stronger because you, you accepted that you can, yeah. that you need something more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then as soon as I went on it, I was like, I'm an entirely different person now. I can actually mother the way I want to mother and with my second pregnancy I went off it and I it was I was okay I was fine to go off it and then all his health problems after he was born and I'm like yeah I need to go back on it and again it made a huge difference and then I've just stayed on it since and so now in the mornings when my son sees me taking my four-year-old and he says you know what is that I just say oh, it's mommy's medication to help balance my brain chemistry you know, like I don't want to be like, oh, don't worry about it. It's, you know, 
you know, I don't want to be hush hush and I want to, like you said, remove the stigma, but, and talk about it as if it's entirely normal because it is, you know, some people need it. Some people don't. And that's great. But, but when you do need it, it's, it's, it can make such a huge difference to your experience of motherhood. And there's so much pressure from all sides to do things in particular ways. And all those ways are completely different to each other. And I think what's really important is to kind of be as much as we can tuning into our intuition and and what's right for us as an individual. And sometimes that looks like medication. And I think that's absolutely fine. It's changed my life completely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, and you have to, another thing I'm realizing as a mom, I'm like, this is me. If you don't like how I'm doing it, if you don't like, if you don't agree with my decisions and what's best for me and my family, that's, that's your problem. Not mine. <laughs> like I'm, I'm making choices that are going to, are going to take care of myself and my family and those that support me. I'm grateful. And those that do not okay too. You know, it's coming to terms with the fact that not everyone's going to agree. I also wanted to say actually that even though everything didn't go to plan for your your pregnancy and your birth and and everything like that. I love how your planning kind of did work its way in. Like you you said you were buying the preemie clothes and then yeah. you like did the playlist and there's like all these little things that you've mentioned. I'm like that's so so cool that you kind of was just like, well, I might not be able to control everything, but I'm going to get these ducks in in a row. Like <laughs> yeah, I I it was so fun. Like that's just who I am and I I think like when the storm is coming, you just have to like find shelter. And like for that, in the moment when I was laboring and I didn't know what was going to happen to my baby, I was like, the only way to feel somewhat in control of the situation is to start doing. So that night on November 4th into November 5th, I bought premium clothes. I created a playlist. I recorded videos for her about how much, what I was excited to do with her and how much I was looking forward to her and memories I had when I was pregnant. And it's, I I wrote a blog post about how I channeled that strength during what should have been the worst day of my life. Um, Because it's, it's one of the proudest moments I've ever had. I, like you said, there's this resilience that comes upon you. I could not recreate that strength if I had to, like, I, it's something that just showed up for me, thankfully that day. And yeah, it's, it's important to remember that you can't control everything, but you could focus on what you can make better. Like you can, you can accept the situation and find ways to move forward with the cards you were dealt. And that's something I'm still learning and working on. I feel like, yes, her NICU journey is done, but she's, she still has a lot of factors. We still have this week alone. We had seven doctors, uh, seven appointments, like She's a busy kid and we are doing a lot of therapies to ensure that she lives her life to the fullest. Um, but it's, it's still not what I planned, but I'm finding that this is what God planned. Like this is what needed to happen to make me the person I'm supposed to be today. And all of these things had to happen to make me the mom that she deserves. Yeah. And I also, I do love that you did, you took those videos and wrote those those things down because how incredible for her to be able to look back on one day and for you to look back too because you'll be an entirely different mother a year from now 10 years from now and just be like have the opportunity to not only remember how strong you were but also see it and be so proud of yourself I think it's incredible on her first birthday we were watching the videos and 
it like the videos that are recorded right before she was born that even like on a tough day I, I now go back to that and I'm like I wanted her so badly yeah. and yesterday was hard but in that moment all I wanted was a screaming kid mm-hmm. and I, I didn't care what the journey was going to look like I just wanted her to be alive and um it it just makes it puts everything into perspective for me and reminds me that how fragile life is and how at the end of the day I need to count my blessings and I need to trade expectations for appreciation because if I continue to have these high expectations and make these plans I'm just going to live a life of suffering and disappointment but if I trade that for hey this is the reality I'm I'm grateful I'm grateful for the the storm that's my life I am I'm grateful for all of the struggles because it's leading me to where I'm supposed to be it's leading me to have a conversation with you who and who would have thought I'd be talking to someone from Australia about my birth story and I I truly believe that in time everything will make sense there's that quote it's like you don't know where life's going but when you look back at at the dots you'll see how they connect um and I I'm starting to see why things are connecting and happening the way it did so if you are in the NICU if anyone's listening know that things are going to get better. You're just going to come a point in your life where you are actually grateful for what you went through and that you don't look back on it with such sadness and disappointment. You will find appreciation for it and you will realize like, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm exactly with who I'm supposed to be with this little human who changed your world completely. Yeah. So I think that probably leads really nicely to the next question. How have you changed since becoming a mother? I have gotten so much stronger than I could ever imagine. She has taught me how to say no. Mm-hmm. I Before my daughter, I was a people pleaser. I would, yes, everyone just to make them happy and to keep the peace. But she, she taught me the importance of using my voice to speaking up, to speaking honest and openly about my experience and my journey. She's taught me to be more appreciative for every little moment. Like we had Thanksgiving in the States on Thursday. And prior to my daughter's birth, the holidays were feeling stale. Like it was just like, oh, I'm an adult. This is this is a holiday. You gather as a family. This is what it is. But now that I have my daughter, I like I have the opportunity to just see family and celebrate life. And I was, I was hysterically crying on Thanksgiving because the year before we were in the hospital for my daughter, like she was in the hospital for Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all of the major holidays in the States. And she's given me such an appreciation for little things like the holiday, something that I was just like, oh, it's just another day. Like, oh, we have to gather as a family. But now I'm like, this little human who wasn't here last year gets to be surrounded by love. Like, this is a huge self. Every little thing, like her breathing on her own. Children are born and they just breathe. Most children. My daughter didn't breathe on her own. She learned to breathe on her own. That is an accomplishment that I'm so grateful for. And every milestone we work so hard towards that I'm I'm like, wow, she's army crawling. This is mm-hmm. such a win. And yeah, there's like a quote where like 90, 90 something percent of humans walk. So most people are going to walk, but watching it happen, I have such an appreciation for. I'm not just expecting things. I'm grateful for everything that is happening because I know that there was a world where she wasn't going to be here. So 
definitely she's changed me in my appreciation for little things that I never would have thought of and never would have appreciated the same way. Did you want to share a bit about the medical piece about the doctor's appointments that you had? So uh, something that they don't tell NICU parents really is that there's a lot of follow-up care. So I kind of thought that once I left the NICU after 85 days, I was going to be done. Mm -hmm. A week after we came home from the NICU, my my daughter ended up aspirating and needing to be brought back to the hospital through the paramedics and the ambulance. So it was a really traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. She stopped breathing in the house and my husband had to resuscitate um, before the paramedics came. So that was something I obviously didn't prepare for. I thought I didn't know that she was going to need a lot of medication when she came home. I didn't know that we were going to have a ton of specialists involved, ophthalmologists, GIs, cardiologists, like literally like every, every doctor we have possible. So I didn't expect all those things. And I, then I didn't expect her needing physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, feeding therapy. None of that was kind of in my world. I was just in survival mode. Like the NICU is the finish line and mm. it's not. So I feel like that hit me hard and that's partially why I was struggling so much in that that May time that I discussed because it wasn't over and I was actually just starting the journey. So in a given week, my daughter has physical therapy three times a week, developmental intervention once a week and speech and feeding once a week. And then on top of that, we have doctor's appointments that we sprinkle in just to make sure that we're seeing all of her specialists and she's meeting her milestones. It's a lot to manage. I ended up having to quit my job so I could support her and be the one to bring her to these appointments because there's no one else that could yeah. do it. It's my responsibility and I need to be there and I want to be there. So I left my career that I loved and I am now a stay-at-home mom which is the hardest job I've ever had. <laughs> and I worked with middle schoolers. So age <laughs> is like 12 to 14. So that says a lot. So it's really busy. And I think a lot of people don't understand. I, I'm still quite fearful about germs and her getting sick because they really instill a fear in you that there's so much danger of them getting sick because they have the premature lungs and lung disease when they're born. It's a lot to navigate still. And people see my daughter and they're like, oh, she's healthy. She's well. And she is healthy. Thank you, God. She's healthy and well. But there's a lot of things that we're still working on. And it's stuff that you can't, when you look at her, you would never know that she is premature. You would never know that she has low muscle tone or these different obstacles we're working through or hemangioma on her eyelid. But it's hard because people just assume that the NICU's done, move on. Mm. And her prematurity is still a factor in our daily life. So that's definitely a challenge currently that I wish I knew more about when I was in the NICU with her, that we were going to, our whole, our daily life was going to change significantly. And I know that this is just a period of time that it'll, life will be like this, but it's all consuming. And it's, I know Danielle and I talk a lot, um, the NICU experience, like, we're medical moms. And I know that term people think is negative, but it's not. It's like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, my baby, my baby is a fighter. She was dealt a really tough deck and she is defying odds. So I want to say like her journey, her prematurity is a huge factor in her life, but it's not going to define her. Yeah. I think that's, that's what I'm learning through this, this NICU mini series that I'm doing is interviews with, with you and women like you is that the NICU 
follows you home like it's it, it doesn't yeah it doesn't just stop there and I, I mean again I don't want to be I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm just like oh I know what you're talking about because I, I don't but in terms of like when Hugo was born we were only I mean we were in there for four days and then they were like he just needs to be able to have suck feed so he just needs to either be on a bottle or, or breastfeeding and so I thought okay so that's the goalposts that's what we're going to do yeah. And then when we get home, then we're home and then that's it, right? And then exactly. we had to go back at the end of that week and then we had all these specialists that we had to go and see because they were trying to figure out why his blood test was so abnormal. And that idea of having a goal to focus on, like we're going to get to this point and then life will be normal, it's exactly like it's so hard to be like there is no, we can't give you a concrete. like. And I mean that also was one of the hardest things that I found is when I had all these medical professionals being like, we don't know, <laughs> like yeah. we think it could be this terrible syndrome where he won't make it past his first year of life, but it's not really looking like that. Like maybe it is. And, and just like this uncertainty was so, so difficult to navigate. And it just felt like kind of like, I mean, I'm a very visual person. So like, I just, in my mind, I was just like this, like walking into a wall of mist, like just not being able to see an end point. And I mean, now we're, I mean, that that's also like, that's just kind of just motherhood is like, you don't know until you get yeah. to each milestone, you don't know what it's going to look like. But yeah, it's- it is really daunting though. Having a lot of medical appointments, I feel like it's exactly that you, you don't know what you're getting into every day and yeah. you don't know what that next doctor's appointment is going to be like. And there's a lot of days where even if you get good news, I come out of the appointments and I'm like, what? what did they just say to me? I'm so overwhelmed because it's your baby. It's your world. Even if it makes sense, the terms, it's overwhelming for someone to be analyzing and critiquing your child, even if it's with the best. I I love my daughter's medical team, but it's it's overwhelming to have them picked apart. Because if you picked apart any child, you would find an area of growth for any kid. But these kids are under microscopes and it it can be really hard to kind of separate yourself and give give them grace, give yourself grace. And not knowing when it's going to end is definitely a factor that I struggle with too. So you're not alone with that. Yeah. So what was your, your recovery from your surgery like and what is your relationship with your body like now? So I had a C-section and I didn't really have a choice to yeah. recover. If I didn't get up, I wasn't going to see my baby. So I kind of put my health to the side, both physical and mental health. I was just focused on seeing her and getting there. So regardless of the pain, I I wasn't supposed to, but I drove way before the two weeks because mm-hmm. it was the only way I was going to get to the hospital to see her. And I ended up getting mastitis twice. I ended up, like I said, having a lot of mental health struggles because of the pumping and obviously my, my daughter's NICU stay. It took me a while to love my body, I think again, but now I have such an appreciation for it that it gave me, my child was bored with everything she needed. Like it's fascinating that the human body can do that. And I was able to give her milk for a short period of time and sustain her. And I'm just so grateful that it made the decisions that like it, it did what it had to do to keep her safe as well. Like I used to be angry at my body for not holding her the full term, but then I was like, you know what? It had to happen this way. My baby, my baby needed to come out. Something was not safe for her and my body responded and I'm grateful that it did. So I'm learning to really appreciate it and accept my body. And 
I have a badge of honor. I literally have a cut in me. Like that's my, I'm, I'm, I had a baby. I'm proud of that. And there's, there's so much strength and yeah, my body looks completely different, but I love this version of me because it gave me life and it gave me my best friend. So I feel like I didn't expect to love myself as much as I do. And it's taken time to get here, but I'm really grateful for this body and all it's given me and all it's gone through with me. So my 17 year old self would be like, wow, Caitlin, I'm glad you like yourself (laughs) finally. Uh, It only took you a million years, but it's love, love. It's so, I like tell my friends who don't have kids. I'm like, you better love your body. It's beautiful. Like, <laughs> especially before babies. <laughs> it's a different type of beautiful after, yeah. but it's important to, especially having a daughter. I'm like, I want to, I want to show her that I love my body. Like I, yeah. my best friend and I have this conversation all the time. Like when I look in the mirror, I don't want to judge myself because my daughter's looking at me, looking at myself. Yeah. I want her to think when I look in the mirror, I love me and that she should love herself as well. So that's, I'm also being extremely mindful of my relationship with my body because of her, because I want her to have a positive body image when she grows up. Yeah, absolutely. There's like a, a, a kind of text post that floats around Instagram about that saying, you know, like kind of looking, look yourself in the mirror and say, damn, I look good. <laughs> you know, yeah. because they're Take it until you make it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like literally like I, for the longest time, like when I'm putting on makeup in the morning with my daughter and I'm like, mom's putting on makeup, not because she needs it, but because I want to feel like extra confident today and like strong. And yeah. like, I, I try to rephrase it where, and it, she's, she's one, she probably doesn't even know what I'm saying, but I like in my head, I'm like, this is important that she sees yeah. that I'm, I'm not doing this for anyone, but to feel stronger yeah I feel like our generation grew up so differently with magazines and and now this generation with social media I just want to make sure that she never feels the way I did about myself and my body yeah definitely could you tell us a bit about your relationship with your husband and how that's been affected by your entry into parenthood together so my husband and I, like I said, we've been together it's going to be nine years in December I've well what is December <laughs> December 19th <laughs> I met him when I was 19, He's when he was 21, and we grew up together. My husband and I have gone through so much. My, my dad had cancer four years ago, and my husband stepped up and was one of his caretakers, seeing him in very vulnerable states. So my husband and I have navigated medical journeys together before, but this was definitely unique. I feel like the NICU either breaks you as a couple or brings you closer and it brought us really a lot closer. I'm, I've never seen a stronger version of him than the day that I gave birth. When I asked him, is she alive? He literally cuddled my head and looked me in the eyes and was like, everything's going to be okay. And he was probably scared beyond belief. He didn't tell me this, that this happened for months, but he showed up for me and he carried us. And in January, when I really started to struggle with my mental health when my daughter was in the NICU. He took paternity leave and sat in the NICU with me every single day and not only took care of our daughter, but took care of me. And keep in mind, he was also experiencing the same thing as I was, but he carried me. And I had PTSD from feeding her because she would turn blue every time I fed her. So I was too scared to feed her. And at that point she was eating eight times a day and he did every single feed when she came home and he carried us. So I think 
this experience made me love him differently because I loved him as like the handsome man that I have had a crush on my whole life. Mm -hmm. But now I've loved him as my caretaker, my daughter's dad. And he's an amazing dad. Uh, he's he's everything I hoped for. When you're looking for someone to spend your life with, you hope they would be a great dad, but you don't know. You you don't know until you see it. And he's way more than I even imagined. He he shows up for our family and he carries a lot of the weight of parenting. So I think, yeah, having a child together is hard. And we definitely put our relationship on the back burner for, we still do because she's our priority. But at the end of the day, when we go to sleep, I know that we are a really strong team. And after watching our child in the hospital for 85 days in the ICU, there's nothing in the world we can't conquer together. So I just hang on tight if you're in the NICU mm -hmm. because it's going to bring you closer. The hardest days will really show you people's true colors. And my husband showed me his in the most beautiful way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's so beautiful and that that love really shines through and just smiling the whole time. Like that's so lovely. It's so lovely to hear. And if you could visit yourself before you became a mother, what advice would you give her? Oh girl. Uh, <laughs> you're not tired. Wait until you see tired. But all kidding aside, uh, I would say you can't control everything. And your child is going to be your ultimate teacher. Give yourself grace because nobody knows what they're doing when they become a mom. <laughs> it's the hardest but most rewarding job you'll ever have. And I would say you are way stronger than you know. And there's nothing you can't do when you have your baby with you. I'm fascinated by the person I've become and I'm grateful for this version of me. For a long time, I missed the old me, but now I'm seeing I've evolved into someone better because I'm Gianna's mom. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Caitlin. I, I'm <laughs> so course. glad we were able to to make this work. Yeah, so oh long. my goodness. I felt so guilty every single time. No. I was like, no. Schedules are the hardest thing to match yeah. up with moms. Like yeah. Everybody's got something going on, so don't worry. I'm just so grateful we were able to connect. Yeah, me too. It's been so beautiful talking with you, and I so appreciate how vulnerable and open you've been. I, there's just so much here that I think is going to benefit people who are in the NICU experience, who who've, who have been there and who will maybe never be there. I think there's so much to learn here and I'm so glad that you shared it with us. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. I really appreciate all of your support and understanding. You've been listening to The Mother Whelm, where we celebrate honest, unfiltered stories of motherhood. If you would like to be interviewed for The Mother Whelm, please send an email to themotherwhelm at gmail.com or send a direct message to me on Instagram under the handle at the.motherwhelm. If today's episode resonated with you, I would love for you to join our community on Instagram. This is where you can find updates and behind-the-scenes content and share your own unique journey using the hashtag MotherWhelmMoments. To keep these powerful conversations going, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with fellow mums who might find solace, laughter or inspiration in these stories. Until next time, you'll be listening to the Mother Whelm. Perfect. Beautiful job. Thank you, my darling. <laughs> <laughs>